friends. We are going to segue into the portion of our evening where we have a Q&A with our uh, highlight of the month. This month it happens to be Reverend Mike Angel of the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion, if you were familiar. My name is Hannah Shanks, the Director of Operations at Holy Communion, but for now your erstwhile MC. So the way that this works for those of us who haven't joined us before, uh, Theology on Tap is an opportunity for us to get together and talk about things that are of substance and merit, things that matter. And one of the things that matters a lot for Theology on Tap and for a lot of the people of Holy Communion who are here tonight is that we are reaching the conclusion of Mike's ministry here in St. Louis and looking ahead. <laughs> That was, a, that was a boo for those of you who didn't hear it. Um, and looking ahead to where he's headed at um, St. Michael and All Angels in Albuquerque. The jokes began. Let the jokes I told Mike when he told me about this that if I were on the vestry, I would have voted him down just on that, just on the name. But I'm not on that vestry. Um, so we will first have a little chat with Mike, kind of a little structured interview. Then we have some questions on your table that we'll turn our attention to that relate to some of the stuff he and I are going to talk about up here. Then at that conclusion, we'll turn our attention, we kind of have a larger group conversation, and there will be time at the end to continue talking, cavorting, enjoying one another's company, all right? So thank you for your attention for now, and I'm going to pass the mic to Mike after saying, could you please tell us a bit about how you started in St. Louis and how you came to be connected to Holy Communion? Thanks, Hannah. Usually I'm the one doing this part, so it's weird to flip troll. Um, so I came to St. Louis because I met a cute boy at a wedding. And uh, we dated and he was here and he was studying at UMSOL. And we made a, a joke about like, well, whoever can get a job somewhere first that would let us move. And I assumed that would mean him. And then I got a job that let me live anywhere in the United States working for the presiding bishop doing an adult ministry for the Episcopal Church. And that's how I first got involved with Theology on Tap, because at that time it was a small group of about half a dozen young adults at Christchurch Cathedral. And Mike Kinman was the dean at Christchurch Cathedral at the time and invited me to come hang out as a priest when I was in town. I was in town about half the time. And we started growing theology on tap. So actually, my, my association with theology on tap predates my association with Holy Communion. I moved here in January of 2014. And, uh, and then summer of 2014 happened. Michael Brown was murdered in August in Ferguson. And I spent about six months doing what I refer to as ad ministry. So running conferences and flying around the church and representing a presiding bishop, who I, I believed in, Catherine Jefferson Church, presiding bishop at the time, she was great. Uh, but I was discovering really quickly I missed being in a parish. I had been in a parish for the first three years of my ordained ministry and I loved celebrating Eucharist and doing pastoral care and preaching and building community and I was finding myself not loving doing conferences as much as I love parish ministry. So I was in Ferguson uh, at a what I thought was a clergy rally that 
uh, Tracy Blackman had organized. And uh, I remember it really clearly because uh, there were these signs, Tracy had a slogan for it, it was, we are praying with our feet. Um, and so I went up to that rally, and there were a bunch of Episcopal clergy there, um, I was getting to know in the area, but there was one congregation that showed up with like 20 people. And there were like black women in their 70s and 80s and white teenage girls, uh, the chapel girls were there, if any of you knew the chapels. And I looked around and I was like, and I was under the orders of the presiding bishop's office, not Catherine herself, but one of her deputies had told me, Mike, you are not allowed to get arrested in Ferguson unless the bishop of Missouri is getting arrested. <laughs> and the people who were laughing knew George Wainsmith, who was never going to get arrested. But they said, if you're going to a rally, you must stand next to the bishop. And I said, okay. And so, but I leaned over to George Wayne, Bishop George Wayne, and I said, who's that congregation? And he didn't respond. He said, oh, they're looking for a rector. <laughs> and I said, I'm not really looking for a job right now. And he said, you should be. <laughs> and so I put my name in eventually. Uh, I found out the Holy Communion uh, had had very senior clergy. Um, they had resources that churches that size often don't have, some of them specifically designated to the rector's salary, and so they mostly hired folks that had a lot more experience than I did. And I was like, great! I can get some experience interviewing and not worry about it. And then they offered me the job. <laughs> uh, so it, it was a year from when I moved that I had to go talk to the presiding bishop and say, hey, I'm actually gonna leave your staff. And she said, well, that's good because they're electing my successor next summer, and I don't know how many of us will have jobs, but I won't be here, so you should go back to parish ministry. And I did, and it's been eight really great years. So that actually segues nicely into our next question. I don't know if you did that on purpose, and I kind of doubt it, but... During your time here, you have participated and ministered through quite a few things. You were, you already mentioned the Ferguson Uprising, the Stockley protests, actions around gun violence, immigration rights, and most recently anti-trans legislation. So we want to know what stands out to you from your work in these spaces? What are some of those lessons or moments that uh, have shaped you? So about six months into being the rector of Holy Communion and no longer having to worry about whether the Bishop of Missouri was getting arrested, um, I went to the first anniversary of um, Michael Brown's murder. There was an action that started with the training at Christchurch Cathedral and then folks marched over the federal building. And I remember being there and I remember not being sure that it was time for me to get arrested. There was some stuff in the system, but my, my predecessor had gotten arrested and was still kind of figuring that out as rector. And I think it was actually Debbie Nelson Link, who's sitting over here, uh, was like, hey, you gotta meet this parishioner of yours. And so she pulled me over and I meet this guy named Rudy Nickens. <laughs> Having no idea who Rudy Nickens was at the time and that he was working with the Ferguson Commission and all sorts of stuff like that. But so through that whole protest, I ended up hanging out with Rudy Nickens. And then I found out who Rudy Nickens was and how involved in the movement he had been in St. Louis. And that, I mean like, 
again and again, what strikes me about that question. I mean, there's moments where I can say like this, that, or the other thing, but it's how often I run into folks from Holy Communion and the wider Episcopal Church, especially with Holy Communion, who are doing the work day to day. Um, you know, when we were working with the anti-trans legislation this year, like we had a member who was working at MTUG and so was able to get the day to go testify with us because they were working at MTUG, right? Uh, and, like the number of times there have been people, Missouri or um, Metro Trans Umbrella Group, if, if you don't know the MTUG acronym, but the number of times I have just run into when we were working on the gun violence stuff, Mary Hegarty was a seminarian in our congregation that was getting ready for it, and she was the faith chair for Moms Demand Action. Like Holy Communion is a place where the people do the work day to day, and it's where we come together to pray and to find solidarity and find community and find people to celebrate with and to weep with and to pray with. And that, I mean, if there's a definition of what a priest gets to do, I think um, getting to pray with and march with and um, hope with and cry with people that are working to make a difference, that's what I've had the joy of getting. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking again along that line of the places you've been able to plug into community, you already mentioned that uh, some of your work with Theology of Tap predates uh, your time with Holy Communion. Similar question, can you tell us about the moments, the impact that Theology on Tap has had, where you've learned, where you've seen really um, incredible things happen in rooms like this one. So I've gotten to do at least two weddings where people met at Theology on Tap. So that's really sweet. Yeah. Um, I like to tell the best for you. And, and Theology on Tap is one where it's like, I really hope y'all figure out how to do it apart from me. It's one of those ministries that I actually, I had a coach when I started at Holy Communion. I, I advised people to get coaches who know more than them. And it's funny, because I'm actually his successor now. He was the rector of the place where I'm going at one point. Um, but one of the things he said to me is like, Mike, a healthy priest will have one or two things that are kind of their signature, and the church will have to kind of reinvent them or close them down and restart them or whatever they do. It's just sort of, it's okay to have a couple things inside of you. I feel like the LD don't have to that a little bit for me. Um, and so it, I do think, I, I hope that y'all figure out a way to get a really good host um, and, and figure out how to do it. But the best metrics for the LDN tap for me are not actually the total number of people in the room, though it's really nice to have a full room tonight. Um, but it's what percentage of the folks are not already related to a church. Because the whole point of this space is to be public space to be space where there's so many people that have been hurt by church, that are nervous about church, that are like, I really wanna have conversation before I go pray with you people, right? And, and I actually, we've had, you know, probably several dozen people at this point who found Holy Communion through Theology on Tap, and that's great. But I'm actually, there's, there's a group of people, there's a whole list of, there's like 300 names. Um, some of them are church people, but I think it matters that the church creates space 
And how did you put it at the beginning? I thought that was such a good summary. Oh, like conversations that matter. There ought to be ways that the church is convening conversations that matter, even if you're not ready to worship with folks, even if you're not ready to, you know, uh, get confirmed by a bishop and sign up and join the vestry or something, right? There, there ought to be ways that churches are reaching out in the community, finding really good partners, and inspiring really good conversations. You got a favorite theology on tap moment? A favorite theology on tap moment? There's been so many over the years. I've been thinking a lot about Daniel Bogard last month. So you can go listen to the Theology Tap from last month if you weren't here. But Daniel Bogard did a thing on faith in Star Trek, which is really nice because I've been working, Daniel's been one of the key voices uh, in the state on the anti-trans legislation fighting back on it. and. Daniel talked about how hard it was to give up hope that we were living in a Star Trek world, that we were going to eventually get to Star Trek. And he said that, and, his, and it was, the room was kind of, it was hard, right? Like this, there are hard political times in Missouri right now. But then at the end, he pivoted, and Daniel talked about uh, the camp, Indigo Point, that he and Shira, who they had worked together as camp counselors years and years ago, and Shira's one of the staff members for promo, and his whole body language and demeanor shifted, and the room shifted too. And I, I just think like that's what, when we're at our best, the Indigo Point is a camp specifically for LGBTQ youth, it's all LGBTQ youth, all LGBTQ counselors, and it was like, you know, even at a time when it is kind of dark and it is kind of easy to lose hope, there are moments where hope can get bored. Um, and there have been so many, from artists to theologians to thinkers to musicians, like folks that have come through and talked about what is bringing them hope. And that, for me, I keep sticking with. In a city that needs hope. Yeah. Pivoting a bit. So as you may have gathered, if you, if you weren't as familiar with us, um, this is a, a twofold of it happening a little bit. We have our Theology on Tap with Mike, who's been our longtime host, and Mike is concluding his time at Holy Communion later this week. Um, so we're gonna pivot just a little bit and lean into that Holy Communion space some. And I'm curious to know what gifts, knowledge, or skills that you're going to bring with you from your time at Holy Communion. And then I'll prompt you again for from your time in St. Louis at large. I guess knowledge of skills. I hope I got some preaching skills, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I would actually like want to pivot that. Um, is I think it, there, there's something too when Solomon asks for wisdom mm -hmm. and i feel like holy communion i hope i've got i've got a little grayer um <laughs> we were with uh some friends who uh were floating around various the school churches when we started and were at some of my first day on absent uh over on sunday night and uh carrie cummins was showing me pictures of a picture she had of me from 10 years ago now or nine years ago now and i looked much younger uh but I do hope a couple of things. 
Uh, I've learned about the wisdom of slowing down. Um, <laughs> my predecessor, Brooke Myers, who I talked about in the email to the church last week, when I got there at the Holy Communion, he took me out to lunch because he's a good guy. And he said, Mike, it's going to be hard for you a little bit because uh, you're coming from Washington, D.C., which is so fast-paced, and St. Louis is a slacker's paradise. <laughs> and he, was, he came from California when he came here, so hey, that was. Whoa. Um, and to a degree, he's right, but I, I think there's also a wisdom. Right? There have been times when the folks at Holy Communion have let me run out front and, 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 and kind of drag people along. But there have also been times when Holy Communion has really challenged me to say, like, all right, wait, let's really work on this before we run with it. Like, let's really think about this. Let's really see how this sits in a community. And I think there's some real wisdom to that. Um, I definitely learned that this year. Right now, I, I've said this a few times, and, and I've gotten the privilege of working with some really brilliant, talented people over the last eight and a half years. But I think the team right now at Holy Communion is the strongest the team has ever been. Uh, and I think part of that is I've learned the wisdom of like how to slow down and how to get all the pieces talking to each other and how to make sure there's enough time for the team to get team built in. And that has been a piece of wisdom I also think it took me a while to learn like just how many incredible voices there are in the congregation. Like singing wise, yeah, of course, but, but also like we had a preaching series this February and a couple of those preachers are in the room and there's just so many opportunities in a place like Holy Communion to lift up voices uh, and, and ask people to share some of that wisdom. So those are all more recent learnings, but yeah. And then we're going to do Q and A at the end, but if it's really pressing. All right, going back to what you just said, wasn't it really depressing and maybe hope losing going down to Jefferson City and dealing with what you had to deal with there? So yeah. Repeat the question. Repeat the question. Yes, 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 yes. So Mike is asking if it was really hope defeating to go down to Jefferson City. Yes and no. Um, the structures of our Missouri politics are messy right now. Uh, the way that gerrymandering has been allowed to take over our statewide politics, and it's, it's a problem across the country, but like it's a mess. Um, and the toxicity that is built into the system because of the way money and how we have to, how people have to run for things, it's a mess. And Every time I was in Jeff City, I was there with hundreds of people who were doing incredible work in Kansas City, in Springfield, in Rolla, in, I mean, all sorts of places where they were working to include folks. And as frustrating and as like, we knew we were beating our heads against the wall sometimes, but I really think Missouri ought to be proud that in a state with politics as broken as ours, we we fought back that legislation and we kept it as as minimal as we possibly could the legislation that passed is not good but it's much better than what passed in tennessee or in texas or in north dakota and i think this is a place where there are some incredible um activists some incredible
incredible LGBTQ plus voices, some incredible faith voices. Uh, and I think there are more and more leaning in. So yes, some of the like people that work in Jeff City make you want to pull your hair out. But the folks that were volunteering to drive themselves in and were packing hearing room after hearing room to push back against it, and, and folks from both sides of the aisle, there were thoughtful, grounded Republican people that were saying, why are you doing this? This does not represent me. And that gives me some hope. So anything in particular, zooming out from Holy Communion a bit, thinking about the wider St. Louis context and doing ministry and action and community here that maybe you didn't know until you moved here and that you're gonna carry with you to Albuquerque. So it is not lost on me that I'm going to a place where my father graduated from high school. <laughs> Um, and where my son will be a fifth generation, like, New Mexican. Because I, this is a place that has deep roots. Some of those roots are not so healthy. Uh, some of the parochialism that happens here is problematic. Um, but this is also a place that really prioritizes relationship. And it's funny because I'm, like, strangely one of the senior clergy people in the Episcopal Diocese now in Missouri, um, at least in folks who are in active ministry. And when new folks move here, and I tell them, like, you've got to pay attention to building relationships. Because in St. Louis, who you know, and who knows you, and who vouches for you, is more important than whatever bright idea you have. <laughs> um, I mean, when they call it the show me state, Sure, they need your idea, but mostly they mean who you got standing with you. And so that is something that it's more true here than anywhere I've ever lived, but it's true everywhere. And so that's something that St. Louis particularly stopped me. All right, last one, unless we get more, but we'll maybe not yet. Um, so tell us about the opportunities and growth and the things coming down the pike that you can see for Holy Communion and for our region. There's a lot. Um, we've been having some really interesting conversations here. Bestry's been working with a consultant who's actually did go to high school here, uh, but lives in New York now. Um, New York City. Uh, but we've been thinking a lot about and it's a fraught question right like we're post pandemic but i think we're all really trying to figure out the trauma of the last three and a half years in a lot of ways we're all trying to figure out what it means to be in community what it means to share space what it means to do all that stuff so how to do relationship so that in and of itself is an opportunity because holy communion is the kind of place had a conversation recently with somebody who did not grow up in our tradition, uh, grew up in a different, or not a physical, a different um, ecclesiastical, a different church tradition. And they're going through something really hard in their life right now. They're caretaking for a parent. And they did not think of church as somewhere they could go to look for resources and look for solidarity. And I could tell that they were struggling a little bit, and I had been kind of chasing them for coffee. We sat down for coffee the other day. And 
<laughs> it was just so funny. They, they thought, thought I was going to like twist their arm to join a committee. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, admittedly I might have tried if I'd not known the situation was going on. But, but we talked for a while, and I was like, you need to talk to Denise in the congregation, who literally has accompanied dozens of families through this question of how do I navigate all the systems around uh, taking care of my loved one. Uh, she's brilliant at it. She's really good at helping that. You, you should have walks with um, these two people in the congregation who've been through this or a couple years ahead of you on it. Uh, if you're really stressed, you should let Hannah know and, uh, and get a couple casseroles delivered to your house for food ministry. And this person literally went, wait, the church can do that? And I was like, yeah, that's what the church exists for, right? Like, what are we in the Midwest and church people if we're not making casseroles for each other? <laughs> but, but that to me is like, there, there's an opportunity here because it's a place with a lot of diversity, um, both in, in, like in all kinds of ways, but also in life experience. And so I think that there's something that the church offers that a lot of people don't know they're hungry for right now and don't know they can ask for right now. And so just accompanying each other and learning how to better accompany our neighbors. It's like, hey. Um, and we're finding that too, like we're, we're, it's having the slow walk more than I would want. There's like a theme in my ministry, right? Um, but we've been having this conversation about our space and about potential partners <laughs> to use the space that we we've had incredible conversations with everything from like people that want to use our commercial kitchen to people who might want to start like a new daycare that's specifically focused on tra trauma recovery for kids and parents and teachers to uh, people and, and it's, none of it is like we're ready to sign any paperwork but it's also like just a wonderful thing we share each other's resources we also share some resources that we can invest including our space and if we find the right partners, like we could have a mutually beneficial relationship, but also like we could help host and birth something that could make real change. Uh, to do that, we need folks to lean in. We need folks to say like, hey, I know somebody who's talking around those things and, and we need to be aware of what's going on and not lean out and let the best rerun things, right? Like you gotta be checked in a little bit. But I think there's some real opportunities in a you know, continually post-pandemic or late, late stage pandemic to help redefine what it means to be community, what it means to show up for each other and our neighbors. So you can turn your attention to your tables now. You should have a few of these little white um, papers where we've got four questions You've listened to Mike answer some of these, but Mike is not the only person in this room with answers. Mike is not the only person in this room in transition, probably, and certainly not the only person in this room with eight years to kind of reflect back on. So we're inviting you tonight to think about your own life and work. Uh, if you need a little container, use eight years as a guide. What stands out to you from that period, and what would you say to yourself from eight years ago? What needs have you seen emerging in our region? What shape does our work need to take? If you're part of our holy community community, where do you see growth emerging? What ways do you think we're positioned to serve the community? And for others, what currents are emerging in the St. Louis region that are exciting to you or that you really think we need to get ahead of? And how can we grow into them?
And the last one is thinking about a time in your church or community work that it really felt like it was getting it right. And tell your neighbors about what that was like and why it matters to you. As usual, we don't expect everybody to get through all four. You can pick the one you like best. You can say to your neighbor, I don't want to answer that. Uh, this is your time, but please go ahead and uh, take a minute to reflect and uh, we'll gather back in how long do we? We'll gather back in 20 minutes um, to hear from you all and for any further questions and wrap. Have at it. All right, friends. I'm going to ask us to come back together as one big group. Getting nervous about what Bob Lewis is telling people to learn in seminary. Um, so, Hanover's like, what do I do now? And I'm like, well, I can do this part. Um, so, what did you talk about? What did you find yourself saying? Oh, I'm talking about me. Um, no, what, did, what, what, what are your hopes around St. Louis? What are your. Um, things you're going to lean into uh, in the next year. Themes that emerge. Julie. starts, the things that want to get started. And sometimes the more radical thing, if I can phrase that way, is for folks to lean in and accompany what's already going on. Uh, sometimes the more radical thing, and I, I'm also going to do a plug, because Julie is one of our co-conveners for Laundry Love. And we've had this nascent ministry at a laundromat in U City for a number of years. And pre-pandemic, right pre-pandemic, we're getting ready to expand it to some other faith communities. And it's a great ministry because a bunch of people come and get their laundry done. Simplest thing in the world. Builds a lot of community, though. And so we're always looking for partners to expand that, uh, to get more people engaged. So what are some of those nascent things that maybe you don't have to reinvent a wheel or invent a new wheel, but that people can lean into? Uh, that by participating, you can help build. And that's really good discernment work. What else did you all talk about? Sorry, I repeated what Julie said, but then I, I also did a plug for Julie. Talk to Julie, I wanted <laughs> What else did y'all talk about? Dance. Um, so I talked about this idea of goodbye and how some of the things that you talked about this past Sunday got me thinking about. Um, and one thing you talked about, like parts of scripture that hum, that stick mm -hmm. out, right? It, it made me think about there are also relationships that you 
that you have throughout your life that also, they resonate, they stay with you. And there was something that you also said about hoping to meet again. Yeah. being really sweet and quoting my sermon from Sunday where I told an old yeah, yeah I didn't make it uh, but, but where I told an old joke about um, and there are a number of folks over there on Sunday with a hell again about you know there's an old thing between preachers and musicians about preachers trying to get a big head about preaching because you know at the Episcopal Church we, we sort of trap you in the church and the preachers at the door and like shake your hand and so of course a bunch of people say what a nice sermon because what else are you going to say to the preachers and they walk by right uh, and the musicians like to kid the, the preachers because we can get big heads and they'll be like, yeah, sermons are great. But who last walked out of church humming the sermon? Um, yeah. Hannah laughed because she didn't hear the joke in London. Um, but when there aren't certain things, especially in Jesus' preaching, that hum. And then Janice expanded that to relationships we have. Uh, I've been joking with people right now, I mean, like being, sort of being the rector of two places because I won't give up being the rector of Holy Communion until Sunday. And, already doing some of the record stuff in Albuquerque because there's some hiring processes and stuff going on and you know I'm talking to the best three. I've got two senior wardens in my life which frankly sometimes is anxiety producing but mostly it's just a big old blessing because great people tend to end up being senior wardens. Um, but that I've been joking that I'm drinking from the Holy Spirit fire hose at the moment but if we pay attention enough I think Life really wants to be a Holy Spirit fire hose for us most of the time. Um, and that, that idea of like humming or resonating, that there are certain relationships, like uh, we're going to do this departure liturgy. It's only a few lines at the end of the service that the wardens and I will do at 1030 this Sunday. And Hannah and I were working on it, and Julie and I were working on it today. And the last line of it has something like that. Like we trust in the communion of saints that we're never really walking very far apart there's theology to that. There is this sense, like, yes, I need to stop being the priest for Holy Communion. Like, there are certain rules that I have to follow about, like, if you reach out, I will always pray for you, but if you need spiritual direction or pastoral care, I'm going to refer you to the clergy that are currently serving Holy Communion, because I need to make room for those clergy to be your priests. My predecessor did that for me in really beautiful ways. But the Spirit has never been just about one clergy person. Right? The spirit is really about like, there are certain relationships, one of my best friends from high school is here, and there's, you know, moments of Holy Spirit from when I was a teenager in this room right now, right? Um, but there are moments where the spirit breaks through in certain relationships, in certain moments, in certain liturgies, in certain prayers, where it's just like, oh. And we talk a lot about in our tradition, like, what we do is we catch glimpses. And so it's always a privilege to get to catch a glimpse. And hold on to that and trust that it's not the last one. What else you got? We do Q&A, too. We also talked a little bit about how when a head priest moves, it gives the community a chance to remember that they're a community. 
community yeah. and, and to, to find the things that define us and, and will continue to define us absent a leader. So y'all have a bunch of gifts in your presence right now because the United Methodist Church is in a bunch of turmoil and some wonderful Methodists that walk into your life. Um, one of them being Catherine. But the United Methodist Church, because of the way that their colony works, uh, trains their congregations to lean into this transition question. Because their bishops, like the Catholic bishops, can move a priest or a pastor in their case whenever they want, every June. Um, but what that means is they're kind of practiced and it's like, it's not about the pastor. Good pastor's great, thanks. Okay, who's next? But, but there is a time when the congregation can really lean in. And one of the things I've said in my initial conversations, but your vestry is leaning in. There are all sorts of people in this congregation leaning in. And I would invite you, if there are things you care about in this church, lean in right now. Um, talk with Fran back there. Everybody wave Fran. Um, Fran is one of your members of the vestry. Also happens to work here at Schlafly and make tonight possible. Let's all say thank you to Schlafly. And if you care about the LGM, tap, tap to Fran. Um, Fran wants to make sure that it keeps going. Uh, if you want to be involved in search process work, talk to Rudy, your senior warden, uh, here in the really lovely shoes and the purple shirt. Uh, if you want to be involved in stewardship, lots of people need to be involved in stewardship. There's actually a really great team forming around stewardship. Uh, talk to your vestry about that, too. But it is a time for a congregation to lean in. And I really do love, it is sort of a surprise for folks who didn't grow up in the Episcopal Church, that what will happen next is that the congregation will really lean into these questions of who are we? Uh, who, what kind of church have we become? And thus, who are the clergy that we're going to call? Uh, and so it's an intentional process. It takes a lot of work. The vestry and the search team, or the sermon team, as they call them now, will do a lot of work. But when it works well, the congregation I'm going to, man, that, that group really represented their congregation well. And it was really evident that they had a lot of deep conversations together. And none of those folks were speaking just for what they wanted their church to be. They were speaking about what a community had discerned together. And as a priest, I was like, oh, I want to go there. And I know that Holy Communion is the kind of place that can do that. I've watched you do it before. I know that they can do it again. Scotland. So kind of on the opposite of the, the goodbyes, we spend a good chunk of our time talking about what brought people in. Mm. And a bunch of us at the table kind of shared how we ended up at Holy Communion specifically. And part of that also is about how did you come to the Episcopal Church and talking about the different traditions that you came from. And a lot of them were much more theologically conservative traditions. And in that vein, we kind of got on to how do we get a lot more young people into the church? We saw that Holy Communion does have a good amount of young people, but how do we, kind of the vein of question number three, how do we see that continuing on in the coming years? And we kind of talked about how there is, for a younger, more progressive mindset, there's actually a stigma against church and we spoke about how a lot of times you don't often tell people that are of the, your age group if you're younger that you go to church all the time. When you do, they can get weird because they only have one view of church, and it's a much more rigid, much more right-wing, much less 
Holy Communion type uh, church for them? And how do we kind of get over the stigma of the way that a lot of people and a lot of younger people view church? And how do we kind of lean into one of the things that was said was a lot of time when the far right get louder about Christianity, we feel like we have to get quieter that way they don't assume that we're like them when we say that we're Christians when we go to church. And that, in fact, it should be the opposite. It's that we should get louder and counter that. So that's something that we talk about. Amen. Uh, so Scott, I think everybody could hear because Scott's got one of those voices that carry, but... <laughs> And it's wonderful because he sings in our choir. Uh, but I will just add to what Scott said about like the tensions we're living in right now, especially like young people going to church. I, I have a theory about this, and it's this. And I say it all the time in the announcements for the Algen Tap at Holy Communion. But it's basically, it is very hard to invite people to worship with you. It's very very difficult to invite people to worship with you. It's a little easier if you're preaching. People show up, so. And invite some diverse voices in to preach helps. But even for me, who preaches very early, it's hard to invite people to worship with you. Um, not as hard to invite them to the bar. Not as hard to invite them to the laundromat to help build community there. Not as hard to, I mean, not fun, but like there were people signing up to join us and drive out to Jeff City that aren't coming to church, right? And so I think the more that a church has a footprint larger than their you know, lot lines, the more space there is for folks who are not quite comfortable with church to be like, oh. And the more you can say like, oh yeah, I'm tired this weekend, I was out marching with my church. Be like, what, marching with you? What were you doing? Um, and when they find out it's not a right to life rally, uh, and they, they didn't have you uh, misunderstood, then they kind of lean in and be like, tell me more about that. So. Anything else you talk about or want to ask me before I go? Quiet. I'll let Anna moderate if she needs me, like somebody between us. Oh, we have Jordan Howard there. I'll give you the, the softball there. You, you talked a lot about what the congregation do, what, what the body of Christ should do, should think about who we are as uh, do you think for individuals uh, mm. something that on an individual basis to take away? On an individual basis, what do you take away? I think there's a couple things. You get out of the life of faith what you put into it. And the same is true in community. This is Jordan Howard who asked, well, you know, what is an individual takeaway? I've talked a lot about communities. <laughs> I joked with you, Jordan, when you got here, because you tried to thank me for Holy Communion and what Holy Communion has meant to you. And I was like, well, I feel like in this, we get quite a bit of payoff, too, because you spent almost every Sunday last summer making our garden happen. Uh, and you were driving a long way while you were selling my house doing that. Um, and I, I've seen your level of investment in the congregation as such a gift. But I will say, you can't, and sometimes you can burn out. Sometimes if you're running a ministry by that, like don't don't try to run a ministry by yourself, because that can get exhausting. Look for um, look for co-conspirators. But but you tend to get into the spirit, get out of the spiritual life what you put in. Um, 
it's that thing I say Holy Week, right? Like your Easter joy will be proportional to the amount of time you spent invested in the liturgy of Holy Week. I think in a consumer society where we tend to like church shop, right? We tend to look for the place that will give us the most benefit, you know, the, the best return on investment for our one hour on Sunday morning and our pledge, right? But on your, I, what I love about Holy Communion, I've bragged on the volunteers a lot, that there are a lot of individuals that put a lot of themselves into their faith life, that are exploring different traditions of prayer, that are figuring out what it means to be a Christian engaged in deep questions of justice. So this is a community where you're not alone if you're doing that work. Uh, and the more that you invest in these questions, the more you as an individual will get out of it. And it kind of is irrelevant, the clergy that are there. We're, at our best, we're good companions in that. But the more you invest in, um, often the best you, you get out of it. As long as you don't individually try to sustain the ministry and burn yourself out on it. So I come from an education background. So what I'll say is I think we've heard some really lovely things from our first talkers. <laughs> All right. And so some of you are not first talkers. Some of you are second talkers. And I want to make sure that you know that you have room and space to make a comment or ask a question. So if you label yourself as a second talker and you want to raise your hand, now would be a beautiful time to do it. You don't label yourself a second talker. How do I see it? <laughs> yes, Susan. So I definitely don't label myself as a second talker. You didn't have to talk yet. I can make space for first for others. Um, we talked a little bit about the demographics of Holy Communion eight years ago compared to today. For people who weren't here eight years ago, it was different. The median age has definitely decreased dramatically. But other things have changed too. And it's it's good. Um, it's different. And it, what will it be in another eight years? What do we want it to be? Um, I think those are some of the things we have to think about. Susan's talking about demographics changing and holy community's gotten younger and more diverse in some ways and not that much more diverse in other ways. And, um, and then if there's an invitation to lean in there. I'll say too, like, it really matters that the church figures out who they want to accompany in the spiritual life. I think we've done some really good and thoughtful work on that through things like the LDN app, through the growth of our children's ministry. I mean, that, when, when Julie Graham, our associate director, who's not gotten enough shout outs tonight, uh, but approached me with the idea of a playground, uh, I was like, well, that's kind of a silly name. Um, I didn't say that out loud. I was trying to learn to be used before I learned that. And I was like, what is in a silly name? But yeah, all right, we'll put it up in front. We'll see how this goes. It's been so packed so many times. Like, it's, 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 a, it's almost a victim of its own success some Sundays. So there's so many kids there. Blocks are flying into the altar, potentially knocking our chalice over. And, and it's exactly what should be happening, right? Like, Holy Communion, when I read the profile, said, we want more kids. Now, we didn't know when I came to Holy Communion that the way we were going to get more kids, we were going to study young adults ministry, and we were going to wait a few years for those adults to like, start having kids. Because there are a bunch of people that are mad that they can't be a theology on tonight because they couldn't get a babysitter. 
because they were theology and tactics seven years ago. Right? But, but that's, that's what Sue's talking about. It's like this, you don't know, but there is work that you can do, and it may not pay off immediately. But when you identify, like, we want to be spiritual community for, and you do some investing in that, it matters. Um, and it's part of why I'm just so glad that I've got a colleague like Julie, who is so good, and there are some incredible plans for children's ministry in the year to come that I will let Julie communicate with you all about. Um, but there's just some really good accompaniment that's happening there. Um, and it's because this congregation said we want to do that eight years ago. Chrissy. Well, just a little bit. There's even stuff for old folks. Mm. And I, I appreciate that because it's not, I mean, I may not look it, but I'm 74. <laughs> and so having community yeah. that I can converse with and have a study group and a Bible group on a weekly basis is something that I really appreciate about Holy Communion. It keeps me coming back. Yeah, so I, I think that's really important that we didn't sacrifice ministry for and with any age group in order to build out other age groups. I, I do think churches tend to be in one or another lane um, demographically when it comes to age. And that's one of the strengths about Holy Communion. And that's something that was in the DNA when I got there, was it was just a much more intergenerational space. And there are too few spaces where people from different generations end up at tables together talking about things. Um, but it, I think it's important, too, to make room. I mean, like, I love that there's a Wednesday Bible study group. And not everybody can come. It's, that space has gotten a lot more intergenerational since the pandemic, though. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of people that suddenly have Wednesdays and they can come to church. And, uh... It's not just a women's group. And it's, it's not, not just a women's group anymore, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Although I missed it. <laughs> 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 and now we can. You know, if, if gender segregation is something that you want to communicate to the best it's important. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> not really. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do think that there's some, there's some, value in intentionally gendered spaces. Um, I, I do think that there's some new ways to think about that, but intentionally gendered spaces would be good. Sarah. So one of the big things that I think you brought to Holy Communion is the online ministry. Cool. And um, it brings in questions about the demographics and the different ages, but I think it also, and so in one way it does provide a great service to a wider community, but I do have Welcome to post-pandemic church. <laughs> so, so Sarah said that like online community. So one of the things that I failed at and then figured out how to reinvent was um, I tried to run online church by myself. And thank God for Tyler Schwartz uh, that first year who jumped in and then we helped build out a team. Um, and the ministry had a, had a moment where they thought about like, should we just end the broadcast during the, um, during the interim. And the thing that I said to them that's actually been really fascinating 
is like there was one of our prisoners who's not in the younger age demographic who has, is in the hospital right now and I brought communion to after church on Sunday uh, but when I called him to say hey you still at the hospital you still in the same place what's your room number where am I basically what parking lot of barns am I going to um, he said to me hey I really like your sermon and I was like, well, this will be a faster visit then, um, right? But, and we have a number of folks that are homebound. Some of them are homebound on Sundays and are able to come on Wednesdays sometimes. But that, like in their 80s and 90s, who watch church, right? And for whom that really matters. So it's, it's an interesting, like, yeah, there's always the, like, should I be at church or should I? And I would just refer you back to what I said earlier in response to Jordan's question. You, you kind of get out of church what you put into church. And so if all you do on Sunday is listen to a podcast when you're on the walk with the dog, that would be helpful sometimes. But if you've got some crisis in your life, uh, it's not going to be as helpful as like having a group of people here in a small group with that if you need meal deliveries, they're going to sign up in 33 hours to fill up two weeks with meal deliveries, right? Um, so relationships still really matter. And I think there is some move, like room ahead for Holy Communion to discern, like how do we continue to do hybrid church in a way that allows people to build relationship and not just watch, you know? Are there ways to, and the guilt, the, the Bible study on Wednesdays is actually a great example of that because they do hybrid. Like there are people in the room, but that owl thing is turned on, and there are people that are homebound recovering from surgery. There are people that, there's somebody that calls in every week over the phone, doesn't have a computer. So there's a possibility out there, but, but you gotta invest in it. All right, I'm gonna issue one last invitation. If there's a second talker out there, you had a really good conversation at your table, and there's, there's a gem in there that's for the whole room. We want to hear it. For those of you who are uncomfortable, this is the part when you're a teacher where you have to wait, okay? <laughs> All right. I'm going to trust that those gems will absolutely still have a chance to emerge. Um, I'm going to close it up here with just a reminder. You've heard me say this before. Some of you in this room have heard the same, me say this before. I was once given an assignment to boil down the gospel into like an elevator pitch, don't ask. I don't want to tell the story, but... Um, she says that she tells the story. I'm <laughs> only telling the end of it. What I got down to was we never stop belonging to God and we never stop belonging to each other. And I think that's one of the cores of theology on tap. I also think it's a core of who we are as people of faith or people of searching and I think it's a moment for who we are in this moment, too. Uh, we know we ever stop belonging to God, and we ever stop belonging to each other. And so there are opportunities to say goodbye, knowing that there may be another hello down the road. There's somebody in the room we've already mentioned who has actually done through a series of goodbyes and hellos with you, who has another opportunity to oh, no. <laughs> have another with us. Surprise! There <laughs> you go. I love this man so much, and so I've known him, I'm Brad, and I've known Michael since before his voice changed. <laughs> That's not pretty intro. Um, I call him Michael, I've known this Mike person you speak of, um, I adore him, I've known him yeah, for more years, 
um, than uh, I have not, which is a pretty cool thing to be able to say about a friend. Um, so I happen to be in town today. I'm working with schools here um, from New City to the St. Louis County to help schools improve here. And it's been a huge blessing. And I was so excited because I got to be in the city. I live in Minnesota. And I got to work where my best friend works. And now <laughs> um, so I'll continue to be here for years. And my friend Michael will not be. And so I'm mourning along with you um, who have known this beautiful man. Um, but I wanted to be able to say, Michael, we appreciate you so much. Um, your beautiful family, one of which is in the back of the room, um, a couple of fuzzy ones at home, and also a Silas, um, who every time he says Uncle Brad just makes my heart melt. Um, very beautiful, incredible family. Um, and your committed ministry that you've had here in St. Louis for the last eight years has been so beautiful, and including the allergy on tap. So the last thing you want before you move is more stuff, but <laughs> sorry, not sorry, you're gonna have fun. This is essentially from all of us in the room. And these are some gifts to commemorate uh, your theology on tap stewardship. Sure. Uh, um, and also your leadership of Holy Communion. So we just wanted to all take that piece of you. So there's some St. Louis uh, drinking water and posters here. So that these two are in Albuquerque. We uh, drink together to celebrate. All the times that they had here, uh, learning from theology on tap, and all of you in this community that you all built together, and he knows past the days of you on. Um, I think that's how I will hear this friend is if in a year uh, this is not continuing, if instead it's thriving and you've had to find a new space, uh, or just continue on where you are and know it'll be uh, thriving too. So, Michael, we love you so much, and here are some things to celebrate your beautiful ministry here. We toast every time St. Louis City wins. Not every time they score, because that wouldn't be healthy for us, but every time they win. But it may well. So, there's an email address list for Theology on Tap. I challenge you, if you're not already on it, to go sign up for it uh, and to talk with Fran to make sure that he's going. Uh, but I get to have the last word, and that is um, for the privilege of getting to be the leader of this ministry. Uh, and of all the ministries of Holy Communion. I've got one last chance, and I've got, you know, trying to keep the sermon shorter than a Chester Hines sermon. Uh, and then, I, I say that having kidded him a lot. He's been really good lately. But, um, but I... And he's great. He comes with a different preaching tradition than I do. Um, but I am so privileged to get to lead ministries like this and to get to work with people who are game uh, to do something totally different with church that a lot of spaces allow. So thank you um, and blessings in this ministry and on the way. Uh, and if you're ever in Albuquerque, look us up and you know, help me get uh, the Algen tap started by dropping in sometime from out of town. God bless. Thank you. <laughs>